Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Baskets post-trade deadline edition. Recording this about nine hours past the NBA trade deadline, which was at 3 p.m. Eastern on the 25th. Uh, so this uh, actually turned out to be the busiest deadline day in NBA history. 17 trades involving 23 teams and 45 players. The Pistons, of course, only involved in one of those trades. That was DeLon Wright to the Sacramento Kings for uh, point guard Corey Joseph, 2021 second round pick from the Lakers, and 2024 second round pick from the Sacramento Kings. So let's just dive straight into it. Dante, your thoughts on the trade? Um. Well, I think, uh, yeah, there, there are a couple different ways that uh, I could tackle my thoughts about this. We could, we could talk about it in a vacuum, uh, or we could talk about it as part of the larger, uh, like the grand scheme of things. So I'll start with just the trade itself. Um, I was a fan of it. Uh, Corey Joseph, obviously nothing special. Uh, I think he was having probably his worst year statistically, but uh, most of his money isn't guaranteed next year, so he'll just be waived no problem. Uh, probably just a throw-in. I'd be surprised if he plays at all. Um, and then as far as the two second round picks are concerned, one is this year, right? Uh, I know it's the Lakers pick, but um, we still secured one. And now the Pistons have got, I believe it's three second round picks this year. And, you know, we, we've discussed second round picks a little bit on this podcast before. And people discuss them as, oh, you know, they don't really matter. You can buy them. You can sell them. It is what it is. But I, I sort of view second round picks as, um, and I think you guys will agree with me, sort of a mechanism, right, through which you can facilitate trades. So, more often than not, right, rather than buying a player out, you might be offered some kind of a second-round pick and trade them to that team that's offering them. And so in that way, second-round picks are pretty useful. It's always nice to have them. So um, to get them uh, for someone like DeLon Wright, who I've talked about him before, I, I never thought he was all that great. Uh, he had a good three, four-game stretch, but at the end of the day, he, um, you know, he was playing good basketball sometimes. He was maybe helping us win games that we really ought not to be winning. Um and so overall, yeah, it's pretty good. And and probably my favorite part of this trade, I would imagine most Pistons fans are pretty excited about this. Um, it shows that Weaver has the right idea when it comes to the guard room. And so Dennis Smith Jr., Sabin Lee, uh, Killian Hayes when he returns, which will hopefully be shortly, and of course, Hamadou Diallo now. Those are the, right now, that's the future of your guard room. And so they're going to get a chance to shine, right? Because DeLon was really eating up a lot of minutes, and now he's no longer here, so... This is it for Dennis Smith Jr. It's we're gonna toss you out there. I'd imagine he'd be the starter, and uh, we'll see what he's got. And then Saban Lee gonna get a bigger role, and Killian, whether it's off the bench or starting, he's gonna get a big role as well. So overall, I'm a fan of the trade. Uh, the compensation is what it is, um, probably the best that we could get. Uh, but what it means for the future of the young guards on this team, uh, that's why I'm a fan of it. So if I had to give it an instant grade, probably a B. I'm curious to know what your guys' thoughts are, but yeah, it's a B from me. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, Dante. Uh, for me, the most exciting part is certainly what it signals. I don't know if this is the best trade available for DeLon, but the fact that we took back Corey Joseph not playing well at all this year, he's not going to contribute to wins the way that DeLon was. And then two second-round picks, that's that's looking to the future. That signals to me that Troy Weaver is committing a little bit more to the rebuild. I think there were so many games that were like a little too close, and then some of them that we actually won. And when the margin of error is that thin, getting rid of your what is ended up being our best point guard is going to make you significantly worse. Just the nature of the role that he played, if DeLon is playing well, and he, he did play well, he was just a very steady presence, uh, I think that was hurting the Pistons uh, in, in terms of like the tank race. So I'm really, really happy that Troy Weaver brought back a player who's not going to contribute to wins. I don't think Corey Joseph is a very good player. And yeah, like you said, uh, this is a guy who was averaging 30 minutes a game before so now we have to fill in those minutes. I think Dennis Smith Jr. and now Saban Lee, who got his minutes cut a little bit, are going to get some of that. And then we'll see what Corey Joseph gets. Uh, that's another guy that Casey coached in the past, so I don't know how they're going to divvy that up. But I was really happy with that. And then as far as second rounders, yep, three of them this year. Maybe that's something that you can package down the line for like a late first. I don't know what Weaver's going to want to do with that, but it's a, it's a good thing to have. They're tools. Yeah, yep. they're tools in your yep. tool belt, right? So, yeah, I agree with you, Tommy. I'm with you. Totally Absolutely. with you. What do you think, Mike? Uh, I'd, I'd grade the trade as, on paper, pretty unremarkable. Uh, I would suspect, I mean, I'd suspect that there are two things that went into it. Number one, the desire to get more assets and to 
Breeze stock on second round picks down the line because the Pistons are without them, I believe, from 2024 through 2027 for what little that's worth. But also just to make the team worse, uh, it's nice. I, I believe that we've risked cognizant of the fact that you have to watch yourself in the tank race here. It's very, 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 I'll repeat, I've said this before, extremely important to this rebuild. Essential, really, that the Pistons get a, a high pick this season. And of course, you're not guaranteed. Well, put it this way. If you're the worst team in the league, you're guaranteed a top five pick. And this is a five deep draft, though. Increasingly, it's looking like it's really strongest in the top three with, with Mobley, Cunningham, and Green. But it's just important to finish low, and there are some teams that are on the fall, so to speak, like the Magic. We'll talk about that later. They were on the fall already before they basically got to the roster today. So I appreciate it in the capacity of makes the team worse, certainly. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is nothing special. Saban Lee's not ready. Uh, he he needs to be able to, to play off the ball, and he just he, he can't do that right now. Uh, I think that oh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go on to Corey Joseph in a bit. So, yeah, making the team worse, great. Getting some additional assets, great. The Pistons do have three picks now. They have Charlotte's pick, uh, that of Toronto, which they got in the trade uh, for Bruce Brown from the Nets, and then the Lakers. So I believe you'll see, you might see the, the Hornets fall a little bit just because Lamelo is out and he was probably tied with, I mean, who knows, maybe I'll go get castigated by Hornets fans for saying this because honestly, I'm not super familiar with the situation. Uh, from what from what I can perceive, he was uh, one of the most important players of that team uh, along you know, the two most important guys, it seems to be he and Rozier, but I, I, whatever. In any event, you could see them fall a little bit. They were already a negative point differential team only by about somewhere in the area of negative one, I think. But you might you might see them fall. Just just remember that like the 10th seed gets into the play-in tournament. So uh, even if they, yeah, so th- that could wind up being a decent pick. The Raptors pick could wind up being a decent pick. That'll probably fall in the 30s somewhere. Though who knows, maybe they could turn it around. And, and the Lakers, maybe it'll drop into the 40s somewhere. Have to be playing without LeBron for the next four to six weeks, and Anthony Davis. I don't think his timetable is quite certain yet, and I don't think the Lakers really care because as long as they get LeBron and, and Anthony Davis back, it's fine if they're the eight seed. So it's nice to have those picks, second round picks, absolutely not useless. Yeah, it, it's it's not super common that they turn into a good rotation player, but it's like you said, Dante. They're definitely good for trades. Absolutely useful for trades. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's sort of a restocking of the cupboard as well, right? Because, Mike, I think you just said this, or it might have been Tommy, or maybe you both said it, because it's, it's very apparent. Stan Van Gundy used to throw away second-round picks like they were just absolutely nothing. Like the guy the guy tossed a second for Jameer Nelson. Oh, that was like, a pick swap. But, yeah, that'll – Pick swap. But it's he didn't value them, right? That's in 2022. I think the Pistons will be swapping with the Bulls in 2022. Absolutely agree he didn't value them. He also didn't value his second-round picks. Yeah. He didn't bother Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, he drafted uh, Darren Hilliard, who was a bad pick, and uh, and cast him away after about a season and a half. Uh, two seasons, I think, but he, the guy didn't really play a, a tremendous amount. He drafted Michael Gabinaje, who was like 24, and he only lasted a season before Van Gundy bought him out of his second season. Uh, it was oh, only like 500K in dead cap. But yeah, yeah, but yeah I mean, second round picks have grown increasingly valuable as, as, as a means, as, as trade pieces, and also for guys on flexible contracts because you can – you're not bound to the first round pick rule. So, uh, so back to it. Yeah. I'm, so I'm satisfied with the trade. Uh, this is kind of unremarkable as far as the return goes. It's fine getting, I would say that that just getting rid of Delon and making the team worse down the stretch is the most important part of this trade. So if we had to grade it, sure. I'll give it a, a B, B plus, whatever. With Corey Joseph, I think he'll play if he's on the team. It, there's, there's maybe an outside chance that, could, that he gets bought out. Uh, but I doubt it. I don't think they'd do that. Uh, as a veteran presence, he was apparently useful on the Kings. Tyrese Halliburton said that that uh, Joseph was like a brother to him, like an older brother. Uh, De'Aaron Fox praised him for the the work that he did with Corey Joseph on his on-ball defense. The guy's captain of the Canadian basketball team for whatever, whatever or was captain. I don't know if he still is for whatever that's worth. But apparently he's a good presence. He's also a Casey vet. He played for two seasons under Casey. It seems to be exactly the kind of guy Casey likes, hardworking, very defense-focused. So he'll be on the roster whether he starts or not, as anybody's guess. But I'd be very surprised if he didn't start. Excuse me, if he didn't play. 
uh, yeah, he's he hasn't been doing too well this season. He really hasn't been very good at all since he was uh, since he was traded from the Raptors, and he's always been kind of like a single digit scoring guy. It's actually has always been a single digit scoring guy in terms of averages. So what are you getting from him? You're getting a guy who, who might be able to provide some leadership in the locker room. He's only 29. He's a bad shooter. He's 32% catch-and-shoot shooter. He's always he's most always struggled to actually space the floor. And he's a you know a, a decent passer, nothing special, pretty turnover-prone. And, yeah, there's nothing special about the guy, nothing at all. Even if he does play, I don't think he's really going to help the Pistons. But I, I think the case he will look to him as a sort of mentor – uh, mentor figure to a degree, and uh, and and yeah, I think he likes Joseph. And if you have these veterans on the team, on the team, and they're and, and they have a good place, you know, a valid place in the rotation, they're going to play. So yeah, that's that's what uh, that that's what I think about the trade. Uh, it's good, and uh, and Corey Joseph, like you said, only two about two and a half million guaranteed next season. He's probably off the team. Uh, you know, you just you just eat that dead cap. So yeah, anything else you guys want to add about the right trade? Um, no, I mean, I, I think we, I think we covered it generally between the three of us. Yeah, we touched on it. Makes the team worse. Um, shows a good direction as far as you know. Weaver is very cognizant of the, of the fact that this team is. Um, he's cognizant of the position that this team is in, and yeah, a little cherry on top. It's restocking a cupboard that Stan Van Gundy just absolutely cleared out for no apparent reason. <laughs> So well, Weaver cleared it out too. Weaver, I mean, in the Canard trade, gave uh, four yeah. second round picks. I'll be honest, I forgot about that. I guess I consider clearing it out, trading those seconds for absolutely nothing. And I, I never would have guessed that I would have brought up Jameer Nelson twice in one podcast. <laughs> but like, what was that? Yeah, so. he traded. Yeah, he traded as a pick swap with with the Bulls for next season. He also traded away a pick that the Pistons had, in uh, I believe in twenty twenty two also in order to bring in James Ennis. Oh yeah. Yeah, this that. is what happens when a when a desperate general manager is trying to who is also the coach is trying to save his job. Yeah, it's, it's a very a bad dangerous situation. set of responsibilities to give somebody. Yeah, uh, yeah, and this uh, is why this is why you don't put executives in. You know, and this is maybe just a more general philosophy, but it's like it's very it's very very difficult to to put executives into a you know win this year you're done type of situation because if it gets to that point, you probably should have parted ways with them the year prior. Because a desperate GM, yeah, they're like they're like a wounded, cornered animal. They'll do whatever it takes to survive, even if it's at the expense of the team. So, or the team's future, I should say. Absolutely, there's this funny link between between uh, between Joe Dumars, who did the same thing, of course, uh, by trading away Brandon Knight and Chris Middleton for who was then largely unknown but was promising for Brandon Jennings and signed Josh Smith. Uh, oh yeah, and he also he traded away Ben Gordon with a first round pick in order to clear the space to sign Josh Smith to the largest uh, free agent contract in team history. A plus. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. In any event, yeah, he brought on Jennings, who was a chucker at the time, and who was a chucker throughout the vast majority of his tenure with the Pistons. He had like a, a, that one good month after Smith was uh, was shown the door, but he was just quite bad with the Pistons, whatever the case. So he traded away, uh, he traded for Jennings as part of a panic move to save his job. And then Stan Van Gundy traded Jennings, it was Jennings and, and Ilya Sober, expiring contracts to uh, the Magic for Tobias Harris. That was a good trade, of course. Um, but yeah, so that Jennings trade got him Harris, whom he subsequently sent over in a terrible trade for Blake Griffin in an effort to save his job. So uh, fantastic people the Pistons had employed. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I know I could criticize Weaver quite a bit earlier in the season, uh, was just Primarily because I was very alarmed at what was going on, but he's—he's. He's, uh, I'll give him kudos. He's uh, the, the first year has I think actually gone pretty well. Of course, it will be determined where the where the Pistons finish and how they draft. So uh, next up, uh, the only other two guys who were really identified in trade uh, in trade rumors were Wayne Ellington, who was actually. Uh, according to the, the Detroit sources, it was deemed the most likely to be traded, and and he didn't go anywhere. And then Mason Plumley, who was thought of as maybe you know there was there was some chatter around him, I think particularly surrounding the Brooklyn Nets, but not very much. And and he of course will will stay with the Pistons. Uh, yeah, uh, do you guys have any thoughts about those two not going anywhere? I have a lot of thoughts. Go ahead. Far <laughs> away. Yeah, so I think we all, as Pistons fans, we broke this down into 
three separate parts, right? It was what's going to happen with DeLon, what's going to happen with Wayne, what's going to happen with Mason. Um, we just talked about DeLon. Obviously, he's gone, um, and that's good. But, yeah, it was pretty. I was pretty disappointed uh, that Wayne and Mason remained on the roster. So as far as Wayne is concerned, um, there was a lot of smoke, like a lot of smoke uh, in recent days, weeks, whatever you want to call it. Um, we all thought Wayne was going to get traded. I thought for sure he was going to be. I, I would probably have put it at a ninety-nine point nine percent chance. So I was I was pretty pretty stunned that he's still on the roster. And given the fact that uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to be bought out, it's it, it left me pretty frustrated. I think that um, Wayne doesn't really have a place on this team um, when he's hot. You know, he causes us to win, and none of us really want to win off the back of Wayne Ellington. And then most often he's not hot, and he's too old really to be athletic to play defense to really contribute in any meaningful way so he's just sucking these minutes from like we just talked about all these young guards that we really need to prioritize playing and so i wanted wayne gone (laughs) desperately and for 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 there to be no takers for nothing to kind of materialize is yeah i i would chalk that up as a loss for sure and um you know we, we we've been talking about this there's this idea of reverse logic right where fans like to start with you know, their own conclusion, and then they kind of build their narrative around that. And so we as fans, we want to assume that our front office is competent and that every single move went exactly according to plan, and it's all a part of this this grand vision. But in actuality, you know, maybe Troy didn't get the exact offer that he wanted. Maybe things didn't materialize quite as he had kind of envisioned, right? And so I think the plan was to trade Ellington, and then it fell through, so that's disappointing. And then as far as Plumlee is concerned, we have, we've talked about Plumlee ad nauseum on this podcast, but... I think you have to tie it into Isaiah Stewart a little bit and you have to think, okay, it seems very unlikely to me that this regime would would spend a top 16 pick on who they view long-term as a backup center um, or a backup frontcourt player at that because, you know, four or five, whatever. I I think that his role is going to continue to grow, if not this season, then at least going into next season, certainly the season after that. And so Plumlee's numbers are are never going to be this good. Um, if Plumlee's numbers are this good again, then then I think something has gone wrong. And so because I don't think he's a piece for a championship team, I feel like we should have cashed in when his value was at its highest. So his value is at its highest right now. And and given the fact that we weren't able, able to unload either of them, yeah, it's disappointing. Um, and I can't imagine it was exactly a part of the front office's plan. So overall, yeah, the DeLon trade was good. But as for what else went on, yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly disappointing and... Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Maybe I'm just crazy, but I also was yeah very very much surprised that we didn't trade him. Um, I think it's possible that they looked at what they were looking at, like maybe we're gonna get like a very late second rounder is what I would expect, and they thought maybe it's just not worth it, and maybe the fact that Wayne isn't looking to be bought out, uh, I think maybe he just wants to stay here, and they like the fact that he's a good veteran presence, and maybe they value that more than the potentials fifties round or 50 second round pick. Uh, and that's fine. I, I don't know uh, if he's going to get the same minutes that he was getting before. I think Hamadou is much more the makeup of this team. And while Svi was getting very inconsistent minutes, and I think Wayne was getting what would have been the uh, the positional minutes there, I think Hamadou is going to cut into that regardless of how well Wayne is playing. And if Wayne wants to be here, and if he's just going to be a good veteran, I'm fine with keeping him the second rounder or whatever tiny return uh, we in theory we're going to get maybe that's just not worth it to Troy Weaver maybe they appreciate the stability that he provides the the leadership and whatever it is that he brings uh, maybe they just wanted to show that they were going to hold firm on something that was pretty insignificant relatively speaking i'm okay with it i think i still would have preferred to have moved on from Wayne but I'm not losing sleep over it. I don't think Wayne's going to get the same heavy minutes that he was getting before now that Amadou is here. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I still do think there's a chance that he does win us like another an extra game or two, and maybe that does end up being critical at the very end of the season because, you know, we, we know Wayne. He has that ability to go to get really hot sometimes. So that's worrying. But other than that, maybe they just value it. This is like the sort of thing that's just – it's all behind the scenes. You have to make these guesses – Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a matter of they thought that he was more valuable here than not here. Yeah. Would you say it was likelier than not that, you know, what they had envisioned didn't exactly materialize? 
Perhaps. I, I mean, that definitely because of the fact that they, they seemed intent on trading him and then they didn't maybe. I don't know if it's more yeah. likely that they just changed their mind or if, yeah, what they thought they were going to get didn't materialize. Who knows? Yeah, maybe Mike knows. <laughs> yeah, uh, regrettably, I don't. Uh, my, my sources have just absolutely run dry. I guess I just haven't, oh, I guess no. I just haven't been paying them enough. But uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that the Pistons were necessary or were really offered anything. Uh, there, there are a couple aspects to this. You, you never know exactly the way, of course, nobody knows exactly the way that the trade, trade deadline is going to go. By many accounts, it was the, the deals, the, the uncertainty of what exactly was going to happen with Norman Powell and Kyle Lowry. In particular, I, I think a third player was named, I don't, and Aaron Gordon, yeah, that really held up the trade market. Like uh, it's one of the reasons probably that today was so incredibly active is that uh, is that a lot of the teams a lot of basically those were just dominoes that were gonna like uh, I, I saw some people compare it to that tanker that's still stuck in the Suez Canal uh, <laughs> that's blocking an incredible amount of traffic uh, through one of the uh, yeah, one. through one of the world's uh, busiest waterways that that was Lowry and Powell and Gordon and then. When some things happened with with Gordon and Powell uh, in particular, and uh, Lowry, of course, just didn't happen. I mean, you really saw a flurry of activity. So, you know, maybe he just kind of got lost, and, uh, and and there just wasn't a time to, to, to just that the opportunity never presented. Excuse me, presented itself. There just wasn't time to make a deal. But there's also just the fact that there was only one pure shooter who changed hands today. That was JJ Redick. They uh, that the Mavericks actually paid a, a second round pick. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what the second round pick is. I know it's, it's 2021. I'm not sure if it's the Mavericks pick or not. But if you're going to pay a second round pick and you're checking, you know, and, and for example, you're going to pick between JJ Redick, who's played 110 playoff games, and Ellington, who's played like 12. Uh, I think that's a pretty easy decision to make. It's it's entirely possible that there just wasn't a market there. I think it's unlikely that Weaver would have just said, "Well, I don't have the offer that I want." I know that they like Wayne for his for his veteran leadership, but I don't think that would have been enough to keep him around. I just I, I really just don't think it would have been enough to keep him around. So my supposition would be that there that there were really no offers that materialized. Much like last season, a lot of people were thinking, "Okay, we've got Marquise Morris, we got Langston Galloway. They're both having good seasons. Marquise Morris can can go and, and certainly contribute on a playoff team, and he did." For the championship Lakers started some games. Uh, I think I think the only games he started were in the series against the Rockets when the Lakers went big with Davids at center because the, the the Rockets had gone mega small ball with with PJ Tucker at center and it, it worked. Uh, I mean, for the Lakers it worked, for the Rockets it did not. Uh, the Davis just annihilated the Rockets, but uh, and of course Davis of course played a lot of his minutes at power forward, but but not at that point. In any event. So Marquise, I mean, you have you have a solid guy who can, who's a, a solid seventh man off the bench who can play power forward, he can play some center, and small ball lineups. He's you know he's he's a, a decent post player and and a, and a reliable spot up three point shooter. He got nothing. Langston Galloway having a career season, uh, for what it's worth, one of the best uh, beyond PJ Tucker. He was really the best corner three point shooter in the league. Uh, he, he was just having a very good season overall. He got nothing. So you just, you never know. It's not, it's not certain that an, an offer was even given. And of course, we've said this on the podcast before. We've noted this several times. Wayne has had an inconsistent season. His percentages do not tell the tale. He, he was super hot. He had a horrible stretch, which he was averaging one three-pointer a game, like 19.5% from, uh, from the three-point line. And then he's gotten back to being hot again. So that, that's also this heat check shooter there versus a guy like Reddick who isn't having the greatest season, but he's he's a known and generally fairly reliable commodity. So I'm not convinced that that there was really there was even an offer made, whether it's just because the time didn't allow or just that Ellington wasn't judged a, a hot commodity. Because, yeah, like I said, I mean, his percentage doesn't tell the tale. Uh, much like Galloway used to be amazing for stretches and then horrible for others. That, that's a concern. If, you, if you're picking between that guy and another guy who's got 10 times as much playoff experience, almost literally 10 times, and uh, and has, been, has generally been reliable. So 
I agree he's going to see less minutes probably when you see Hamadou Diallo, uh, who, I mean, you've got Frank Jackson, who's a two-way player, who in my opinion has very little to offer, starting a shooting guard right now just because options are limited unless you want to start weighing there. And perhaps tellingly, he just hasn't been played many minutes, even though he's playing well. So I do think you'll see Diallo there uh, and uh, what we'll see from, you know, from the backup minutes soon, who knows what Wayne will get. Josh Jackson has played most of his minutes at shooting guard, actually, though. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's on the season about three quarters. So uh, I am unhappy at the prospect of Wayne going flamethrower mode and winning the Pistons one or two games, but we'll see. As far as Plumlee, I would have been shocked if he were traded. Uh, Weaver went to lengths, including stretching uh, quite a bit of salary or to bring Plumlee on. And I, I think a fair amount of that was just for his for his, his overall presence, uh, not necessarily on the court, but just as a, as a culture guy in the locker room. And I, I would have been surprised if he'd moved, been moved, you know, two thirds of the way through year one. Yeah, I think I think there really would have had to be have been an offer that made sense, even though by all accounts the Pistons are high on Isaiah Stewart. I, I think they just like Plumlee, and he also gives them the opportunity to to bring along Stewart in whatever way they wish. So. I would have liked to see Ellington gone, but that you know, if there was wasn't a market for him, there wasn't a market for him, and yeah. So the trade deadline was it was just it was a little bit it was it was a little disappointingly uneventful, but I don't think necessarily anything was 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 done incorrectly. Uh, we'll find out. I'm guessing if there, if there were any offers for Ellington, but like I said, you look back to last year, Galloway nothing, Morris nothing, so. I don't think it's out of the question. So, yeah, if you guys don't have anything else to add, we can move on to uh, what help, uh, a little bit of what happened elsewhere in the league. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so the the big news, of course, comes out of Orlando. Uh, there had been whispers that the Magic were, were – I mean, Aaron Gordon had asked for a trade. Uh, there had been whispers that the Magic had even made Vucevic, uh, their all-star center, uh, one, of the, one of the best scorers in the league from his position – Really, just an all-around good scorer. He's really his only thing he can't do is attack the is, is attack the basket off the drive, which is a helpful skill, but you don't really need it at center. And most, you know, there aren't very many centers who can do that uh, who can do that effectively. So, yeah, ultimately Vucevic got traded to uh, to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the return there, along with uh, Al Farouk Aminu, who's a, is a decent defensive forward. For Otto Porter Jr., uh, Wendell Carter Jr., and what I believe was the Bulls' first round pick this season and in 2023 or 2024, I think 23. 23. So that's big. Uh, big for the Bulls, who we discussed in an earlier episode, you know, are they potentially a team who could, uh, you know, who could end up blowing the standings, who could, you know, competing with the Pistons for the, for the 30th spot. And we, we concluded it was very unlikely, but certainly they're going all in. Uh, I'm not super confident that this trade will really do much for them because I don't think that uh, that a, a Vucevic uh, Zach Levine combo is really going to win you more than if you're lucky one playoff series. But it's just notable for what Orlando did. They got rid of Evan Fournier, who was their really their second best scorer for a couple second round picks. For anybody wondering why they only got a couple second round picks for it, uh, they didn't have to take it back any salary because Boston absorbed another trade exception. The the Magic got, uh, I think, a $17.5 million trade exception just by trading Fournier and taking nothing back. I'm surprised that they didn't just immediately take Bledsoe, whom the, the Pelicans were trying to move, along with an asset, immediately into that trade exception. But they'll probably find some use for it as part, as part of the rebuild. Uh, and, of course, Fournier was on an expiring contract, but that the, the uh, just the ability to send him without taking salary back and get that trade exception was valuable in and of itself. So, and then the third trade, they sent out uh, Aaron Gordon for Gary Harris, uh, RJ Hampton, who was, I don't know, I think picked in the teens, Tommy, right? In 20, 2021, excuse me, 2020 draft. Yeah, and... Yeah, and a first-round pick. So, yeah, the, the Nuggets really gutted the roster. I mean, they traded away their three most important players. Uh, Fultz was having a, a sneaky bad season when he went down, a horrible efficiency. 
that's what comes of not being able to shoot threes and just attempting low percentage twos on high volume. Uh, but it, it leaves the uh, the magic uh, as uh, another team who can compete with the Pistons in the race to the bottom. So really, what you're looking at here is is because uh, the Wizards, I think, are out of the picture because they've started you know they started winning some time ago, and the the Cavaliers that. Uh, it looks like have stemmed the bleeding to a degree. So your your bottom prospect at bottom four are the Rockets, who will hopefully improve when you get. Well, I think you basically have everybody back by now, don't you? Because because Depot is gone, so you really have to d- depend on a core of John Wall and Christian Wood. Maybe the the trail, maybe the Timberwolves will improve once you got Towns, Beasley, and and Russell playing at the same time, and maybe with Edwards, who has still been really inefficient, maybe he'll pick it up. But the Magic now are terrible, like <laughs> legitimately awful. I don't even know who. Uh, yeah, Cole Anthony probably is their is their presumptive starter at point guard. Whenever he re- whenever he returns, he was bad before he went down. They're awful. So that that's a danger. And again, the Pistons really want to finish last so they get that guaranteed top five pick. It is a disaster for this team if they pick outside the top five, most likely. So, yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah. I mean, for all that Troy Weaver has done, uh, the best player, uh, if this team is going to be a contender, the best player is probably not on the team yet. It's critical that the Pistons get a top five pick. And, and the only way to guarantee that is to have the worst record. And so... I didn't. Um, I forgot to mention this when I was talking about Ellington and Plumley. But even though they might not have wanted to trade them for various reasons, they're this gutting in Orlando here really adds, you know, a team to the race in a big, big, big way. Like, it, yeah, Mike, it's it's absolutely essential, you know, that the Pistons get a top five pick here, and the and the only way to guarantee that is to be the worst team. Um, and this is something that I I think I failed to mention it when I was talking about my overall disappointment and, um, you know, Plumlee and Wayne still being on the team. It's like, the, yeah, the, the front office might not have wanted to trade them for various reasons. But at the end of the day, Orlando was just gutted. And, and yeah, we'd heard whispers that, oh, they're going to unload this guy and that guy. But I don't think I expected or we expected anything to this extent. And so right now you're looking at Detroit, Houston. Uh, Minnesota and and now Orlando, right, as very very serious contenders for the worst record, and it's like the the chances are I I wouldn't trust the draft lottery with my life. I I, I would bet anything that we'll probably be picking in the worst spot that we could possibly pick. It's just the the ping pong balls haven't bounced our way, and so it, it really is in the best interest of this team to have the worst record. And the best way to do that is to not have good players on the team i know it sounds simple but it's the truth and so i'm pretty worried about what what went on in orlando and um we really need to secure that franchise guy there's a good chance the best player on on a championship team is not on this roster right now and so the only avenue to do it is we're we're, we're seriously being threatened right now yeah absolutely uh, i would say i would say that i i don't know how much worse really trading ellington would have made the team even Plumley. Not not entirely entirely sure. I, I don't think it's it's a foregone conclusion that that replacing him with Stewart would make the team any worse. It would just be whoever was playing backup center. You wouldn't have Stewart coming off the bench anymore. Uh, Dick Stewart, as we've said in the past, he's the only player who has consistently made the team better. Yes, he, uh, he has. Uh, he's he's the only player with whom the Pistons are you know are a positive team and and are a positive differential team. That isn't necessarily that that has to be contextualized, but. Yeah, you got rid of the Plumley. Yeah, I agree. The team would have gotten worse. At the same time, I don't think Weaver was willing to just uh, was willing to toss Plumley away. I mean, Delon Wright was was added later on in in free agency. Plumley was one of his core guys that he wanted to pick up. I don't think he was just going to toss Plumley away uh, as as kind of like a, a panic reaction. But it just goes it goes back to what he, he did in the off season. Assuming that he had the latitude to do what he wanted, and Tom Gores didn't insist that the Pistons really focus on winning culture. The it's just really hope that the compete while rebuilding doesn't come back. He's playing with fire a bit. I hope it doesn't come back to burn the Pistons. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I was just thinking about that just now. Uh, you you are kind of treading this line where you're trying to make it so this this team plays a, a really nice brand of basketball. And when you watch it, like it's a lot of fun because this team plays so much harder than a lot of teams. They execute well and. You just don't see that with a team like the Wolves. 
So how do you become the worst team while still playing like a decent brand of basketball? That's a really hard thing to do. I don't know if they'll be able to do it, but at the same time, you have to look at, I mean, Troy Weaver has to look like, you know, maybe we finish sixth. You have a 20% chance of picking sixth. Is that worth that risk? That's something he has to look at. Cause like, if you want to be the worst team, like go process level sixers, you're kind of undoing a lot of progress in terms of like the culture that they've built thus far. And I think that the way that they built this team whoever we pick is going to seriously benefit from that as opposed to a team like like if somebody were to go to the wolves maybe that's not the best place to learn winning habits the pistons i think this team is going to bring that out and whoever whoever they bring on so that's something to consider but yeah uh, orlando is now in the tank race the pistons are currently two and a half games behind the, the wolves as we record this two and a half games behind the wolves uh for that worst record and then Orlando is five games behind. So we are the same distance from Orlando as we are from Minnesota, the worst team. I don't know how many games we have left, but there's just, there's a lot of time for anything could happen. And it's just really important that the Pistons don't go on a winning streak at this point. Uh, That would be super painful to watch. I know that there are people who are still going, well, no, I'm never going to root for this team to lose. Well, at this point, what benefit is there? to going on a win streak you're just gonna put yourself right back in the middle and I just can't get excited about that this team is in a good spot for once they need to be a little bit they need to lose enough games to where they get that top five pick but for once it feels like we have direction and they're thinking ahead and I just don't want them to lose that but yeah no it's gonna be it's gonna be essential that we stay in front of Orlando and the tank race so that'll be some that'll be something to keep an eye on no, it's it's tenuous, man. I, I don't envy Troy Weaver at all because yeah, you gotta consider how do you how do you weigh watchability versus losing, right? And the and the fact of the matter is that this team is competitive on most nights. Like there's very few blowouts. And so with a little bit of luck and you know, some shots falling that may not have fallen, like this team could easily have won two, three, four more games than they are now. And so you gotta wonder how many times are we going to flip the coin and it ends up on, on the side that we want, right? It's, it's, it's going to be tough. A lot of these games are going to be toss-ups and, and, and yeah, we could really, really use every loss that we can get. Right. So this is, this is a nerve wracking race for sure. And uh, I just don't know how we're going to handle it because the fact of the matter is some of these core pieces that are not going anywhere, like Stewart and Bay and Grant, like they're, (laughs) they're good enough to win some games, man. Like the Pistons are a better team than Orlando right now. Oh, yeah. without a doubt, they're a way better team than Orlando. I mean, like I said, who is uh, who is conceivably the uh, the best player on uh, on Orlando's roster right now? I, I really couldn't even tell you. It might be Terrence Ross. <laughs> oh yeah, Terrence Ross. Exactly. I, I do I would, think it's Terrence. Yeah. 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 Good call. I forgot entirely about him. Terrence Ross is like your fourth best. So it should be your fourth best starter on a good team. Uh, Fournier is gone. Uh, like if you look at their starters to begin the season, and these are also their their five top players in terms of uh, points per game. You have Vucevic gone, Fournier gone, Gordon gone. Fultz, like I said, was really overrated, but he's out for the rest of the season. So yeah, Terrence Ross is your best remaining scorer, and your two best players after that are are Cole Anthony and goodness gracious me, who would have been Well, Jonathan Isaac is playing, but he's season. out. Yeah. Yeah, so your your two best players after that are are Cole Anthony and either Michael Carter Williams or or James Ennis, and that's horrible. <laughs> they're they're going to be awful. Oh boy! Now the Pistons have twenty nine games remaining. You don't want to win any more than like seven of those maximum at this stage. Uh, I yeah, so it's it's going to be a tough one. And and the Pistons, you know, as as much as they are in fifteenth in the East and have not won many games at all, they. You know they've they've been unlucky as far as the tank goes. They've been a pretty healthy team. They have basically. I mean, they've been lucky with with opponent absences. As much as people want to point to the Pistons, is look at look at their wins. They're all really good teams. They were very fortunate with absences. Guys like Davis, Embiid, uh, Butler. Uh, you know, both point guards for the Celtics in one game, and. Like, yeah, I mean, that that's unfortunate. So it, it's a little worrisome. Yeah, it, it's, it's a little worrisome. I think that's the Rockets have enough to keep their heads above water, maybe with Wall and Wood both playing well. And 
again, the, the Timberwolves could do better. And the Timberwolves seem intent on doing better. I don't think that, I think, I think that if the Timberwolves finish worse than the league, they still get a 60% chance of surrendering their pick. So uh, I think the Timberwolves ideal situation is to get into a place in which they'll lose their pick, but it won't be humili- completely humiliating and deflating for their, uh, for their fan base. So yeah, it's, it's uh, it's scary, and there's not much to do right now but hope for the best or hope for the worst, as it were. <laughs> so why don't we move on from here, just uh, discuss uh, other trades that were made at the deadline. I know that we're going a little bit away from Piston Land at this point. Uh, of course, we already went over uh, over a couple of the major ones, those being uh, Vucevic getting sent out and, and Aaron Gordon. Uh, getting sent out to the Nuggets. Uh, I'd say what's interesting about Aaron Gordon getting sent over. This is this is partly a consequence of the Jeremy Grant trade. I would say uh, Grant uh, Gordon definitely doesn't any come anywhere close to replacing uh, at least based on his past career performance, basing uh, replacing Jeremy Grant as a three point shooter. But they've been hurting for defense since uh, since Grant was gone. Uh, it's, it's, excuse me, since Grant left, he was a valuable presence in the playoffs. Uh, playing next to Nikola Jokic and just being that athletic uh, forward who could really guard guys from from two through four. So Gordon's a tenacious defender, super athletic. He's, he's not the greatest scorer. He's been inefficient really throughout his career. But uh, it's, it's a good trade for them. Gary Harris was an important perimeter defender, but he's been out for most of the season. So uh, I, thought, uh, I thought that one was interesting. Seeing Gary Clark get traded. No, it's not Gary Clark. Uh, Gary Trent. Uh, get traded. Gary Clark got traded. Also, all of the Garys in the in the league got traded today. Gary Harris, Gary Clark, and and uh, and Gary Trent. <laughs> so, yeah, Trent uh, was a promising player uh, who just uh, finished his his third or fourth season. Got traded over the Raptors. Guy with uh, with more upside, maybe than Powell, maybe, uh, and is on a as uh, restricted free agent. The Blazers, who are still trying to compete, got a more ready made player, Powell, who's having an excellent season. And uh, yeah, as, as much stuff has happened, uh, I just I don't think there's anything else. There's anything else that was really particularly interesting at the deadline. Oladipo got sent over the to, to the Heat by the the Rockets, for whom this has just been a disastrous season in, in really every respect. Uh, it didn't, you know, even even in the trades, they could have kept Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, but uh, I, I think that's. If I had to guess, it was Fertitta who said, no, I want Victor Oladipo because he is on a one-year deal and he'll be gone after the season instead of Levert, who has, who has more you know, who has more time left in his deal. You could have traded Levert for a good return. Jared Allen, you could have traded for a good return. I believe they could have kept him, uh, if, I, if I remember the, the way the trade went correctly. Yep. So, yeah, that's what a, what a, you know, just what a mess up on their part. They just they mega-botched this one. So, uh, any other... Interesting trades, uh, you know, from from for you guys. Anything, anything you're particularly thinking about with regards to this deadline? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I've said this a couple times. I live in I live in Raptors land, and the amount of um, Instagram stories I've seen where it was like, "Thanks for everything, Norm," and like a picture of Norman Powell was blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> like I was <laughs> like, "Really?" <laughs> so that was kind of that was kind of weird. So that that Powell trade's been on my mind a little bit. And uh, other than that, I found the Oladipo trade pretty interesting. I think, um, you know, I think some people are going overboard with what his potential might be because I think uh, what's the opposite of potential? Because he's he's spiraling downwards in a way that uh, we haven't really seen before. You know, he went from an All NBA level player to. Um, well, he was yeah. all NBA thirteen, yeah, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, exactly. And so he quite a fall from grace, and you know you can attribute that to the injuries, right? But I don't see, I don't see this really improving Miami all that much. And so, yeah, really the highlight for me was the Powell trade, and uh, maybe maybe the Instagram stories will go away after twenty four hours, and then I don't have to think <laughs> about it anymore. That's well, those people out are not getting traded too. I mean, everybody was very emotional about the uh, yeah. I know, uh, amongst Raptor fans and the idea of him losing and. Just that the was deal never the materialized for today as well. Yeah, I thought he was going to Philadelphia. I saw the report that he was gearing up uh, to be traded to Philly, and I thought, oh, cool, I could still hate him. It's cool. But <laughs> um, that obviously didn't end up happening. And so, uh, but yeah, I'm just sick of the Raptors talk, man. It, it's been quite a bit. And so that's uh, – I didn't think Norm was all that special. Apparently he is. Apparently he holds a special place in everybody's heart here in Ontario. <laughs> yeah. 
The only thing I could think of was like not, this isn't just pertaining to today, but boy, the Rockets are going to be hurting for a long time. Oh yeah, they have messed up their future badly. I agree. That's the only thing I, I can think of when I look at this. Honestly, I, other than Orlando tearing down, that's like the biggest thing for me. So fun trade deadline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they they really messed up uh, for sure. Uh, between, I mean, it's be, between the Westbrook trade and the Paul trade, and <laughs> Harden trade. Yeah, and the Harden trade, which really wasn't that great. And and Harden, I think, in a way, kind of screwed them over. I think Shaq, who uh, has a habit of putting his really putting his foot in his mouth on national TV lately, put it well about Harden is that he asked for a lot of things, and Daryl Morey gave them to him. Uh, Harden did not play well in elimination games in the playoffs at all. And and ultimately, he got those things. They expended a lot of assets to make those things happen. Chris Paul, they paid quite a bit. Uh, they they really depleted the team to a degree. Of course, you're getting Chris Paul, but you give up Montrell Harrell, you give up Lou Williams. Those are two of the best reserves in the league over over a significant period. Uh, who else did they give up? Uh, Patrick Beverly, uh, this, uh, that's a decent piece right there. A bunch of guys uh, for whom they had, I believe, full bird rights. Uh, would have had full bird rights, and the Clippers did, uh, and on low salaries. And I, I think there were draft picks involved too. Just to get rid of Chris Paul, you gave up uh, picks and pick swaps to the Rockets. Uh, excuse me, to the uh, Thunder. The Thunder, yeah, that was a horrible idea, and and that was that was at the behest of James Harden, and then he just gave up. Uh, I, I don't like Harden all that much. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, the guy's spectacularly talented, but I just I don't like him very much. But either way, yeah, you got Fertitta there too, who really screwed them over. A guy as a guy who just was all about penny pinching and did not want to pay into the tax at all. And if you want to win a championship, you almost invariably are going to have to pay the tax. That's just the way it is. Not always, but you better be prepared to do so. Now, of course, you you can move on to also some talk on the buyout market. Well, Marcus Aldridge, who is is kind of a shadow of his former self, as far as I mean, he used to, used to be a very good player, and now is pretty slow. Struggles as, as a defender, but he's still a good shooter. He's still a good post player, and it looks to be going to Miami now. If Oladipo really works out for them, I mean, fantastic. They, I mean, if they've managed to nail Kyle Lowry, and Oladipo is a good defender, if nothing else, and if you can play him in a lesser role, which he will be playing in Miami, I think he'll do better than he was doing in Houston uh, and, and in Indiana because Jimmy Butler is the top dog there, indisputably. If they got Lowry as well, I would say, wow, this team maybe could win the championship, but uh, it's just Dragic now. So, uh, but you pick up Aldridge, you pick up Oladipo, who will hopefully be, play better in a secondary role, and I think they're in good shape in the East. Uh, the other, one of the other significant bio candidates uh, is Andre Drummond, and <laughs> like, yeah, th- there is a reason why the Pistons traded away from Peanuts. I mean, this guy is just not a very good player. The Cavs got him. Reports came out that uh, Allen came onto the team. Drummond went into one of his typical sulks. They asked him to play less minutes, uh, and they, they asked him one point to come off the bench. He said no. And if you're saying, why don't they just play him less minutes, it's because they presumably didn't want the guy to turn into a massive malcontent, but that was going to happen regardless. So they weren't even able to garner a first second-round pick for him. But part of that was difficulty in matching salaries, maybe uh, you know, his $28 million uh, contract and the fact that He's an expiring contract now, and but a lot of it was just that he's just not a very wanted commodity. He was having a horrible season with the Cavaliers for all this, for, the, for much the same reason that he was always, he was never nearly as good as he could have been in Detroit. So, uh, yeah, humor me. I'll go on a, a one minute rant about Drummond, and I am uh, hopefully not break my promise not to talk ever. You know much ever again about Drummond on this on this podcast? I know I said I would never never rant about him again. So this this would just be a uh, it's a mini rant. Call it a monologue. Yeah, we'll call oh. it no, we'll just call it a monologue. Uh, <laughs> I, I still see apologies made for Andre Drummond, and I don't think he deserves them. Like, oh, he's never played on a good team, or whatever. Uh, you know, what motivation did he have to play? You know, on the Pistons, and it's like <laughs> those hold no water. I mean, the guy was his own worst enemy. He was also an enemy of the Pistons in this respect. He has a horrible mentality. He has a horrible, you know, that that ties into basically he wants to be an offensive superstar. Uh, he, he doesn't want to stick to the things he's good at. He wants to stuff the stat sheet and get his, and it's way more important to him than playing the right way, playing the winning way, playing for his team. Uh, he would, 
Whenever things didn't go his way, he would pout and check out. He quit on the team so many times. He quit on the team in the 2019 playoffs. Uh, he completely undermined his own effectiveness through his horrific mentality. And it was what was, to, what was to blame was his own behavior. And it made him a lot less than he could have been. And also, it's just it's inexcusable. It's completely inexcusable. You can say whatever you want. Oh, he was on a bad team, whatever. Fact is that there are a multitude of players, multitude of players every year who are on bad teams. Pistons are one of them. These guys go out and they try their hardest, nonetheless. Uh, you know, irrespective of how bad their team might be, because that's what a professional does. And Drummond is not a professional. <laughs> so, yeah. So he'll get bought out. Who knows where he'll go? Uh, I don't have high hopes that that he's going to mature overnight, and I'm sure that that's a consideration. Uh, I know it was, it was reported by the Athletic that it was a consideration in trading for him. Uh, that I mean, this this must have just been further confirmation about what GMs already know already knew, but just the fact that he was even being, uh, you know, he was, he was just being his typical egotistical, uh, you know, egomaniacal self, and I don't know if egomaniacal, but very self centered self in Cleveland. But I mean. Yay for the guy if he goes on to you know to mature overnight into a good role player for a championship team. Uh, I'm not going to be happy for him if he wins a championship. The guy was a disappointment in Detroit, and that's not because of his salary. It's because how he conducted himself. So that's how I feel about Drummond. No, I did. Uh, again, uh, whether he goes on to success or not, the way he conducted himself with the Pistons was a disgrace. And I, I honestly don't wish him success at all. And that's uh, pretty strong. <laughs> you yeah, gotta I mean, play us how you really feel, Mike. The Red Wings at Joe Louis Arena had this slogan uh, painted above or right near the entrance of the locker room, which says, uh, "To he to whom much is given, uh, excuse me, from he to whom much is given, much is expected." And part of it was that yeah, Drummond was given that big paycheck. And he was given all that responsibility, and he just decided to be uh, to the only word that comes to my mind is manchild. I don't like that word for whatever reason. Uh, he just he just he, he never uh, he never behaved himself professionally ever. Even if he had been a player making five million dollars and not comporting himself professionally, I would have disliked him. I disliked him more because he was he was given this big contract and all this responsibility. And knowing that he was basically being named the franchise player, and he still never matured, never. So why why should I? I mean, the guy the guy comported himself completely unprofessionally, and in just really inexcusable manner. And why should I hope he's successful? He really just just screwed around with the Pistons, uh, you know, and more or less his entire time with the team, not playing like he should have, not playing in a way that would have made him more effective, not playing in a way that would have justified the investment made in him. Uh, you know, why, why should I hope the guy is successful at all? No, I mean, uh, you, you, you've heard that anybody who's played high school sports, right? You play for each other. Everybody holds themselves accountable. You know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? It's like when, when somebody who's making that much money and who's expected to be, whether it's rightfully so or not, kind of your franchise piece, it's like, or your franchise centerpiece, you do expect a certain level of professionalism and, and an element of, you know, it's not just about me, me, me. I'm, I'm playing for the team. And so, yeah, Mike, I agree with you. Um, at a certain point, you have to conduct yourself like a mature professional. And so um, there were some moments where I, I did like Andre Drummond when he was here. And I probably wouldn't uh, go so far as to say as I don't wish him success. But you're enti- you're absolutely entitled to your opinion. And, and I can't disagree with any reason that you've given. But your, your, your thesis there, your premise about conducting yourself and, and what should be expected of someone who's given a lot... I couldn't agree more. Um, I absolutely agree. And one thing that we can praise Troy Weaver for, he's he's not bringing in guys like that. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I would say with respect to, I mean, Drummond was really the antithesis of Detroit basketball culture. <laughs> like the antithesis of basketball culture in, in Detroit. And I think one of my favorite Drummond-related moments, well, not really Drummond-related, but it was... Uh, I appreciated watching Chauncey Billups during the 2019 playoffs just lay into him uh, because he, here was a guy who was, you know, it was, it was really, you could probably say the leader of that really beloved going to work team that was all about playing for each other and, uh, and all about working hard. And it was basically, you didn't call him out, you know, in, in the name of maybe he did in the name of just how you play in Detroit, 
the guy just quit on the team. And then, you know, and here's a guy who really is really qualified to say it. Like, what on earth are you doing in any context? But yeah, uh, we've said it before. Stan Van Gundy gave no thought to team culture. None. Like, really none. And, and Weaver really has. And yeah, he's, he's, he's stocked the, the team with guys who are really, yeah, who, who will work hard every night and will play for each other and play for the team. And I think Detroit basketball, you have three tenets to it. You you play for each other. You leave everything out in the floor. You know, you work super hard. And you make your opponents' lives miserable. <laughs> and Drummond did none of those things. <laughs> he made you know? my life miserable sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I, I just, it comes with it. I, I don't know if, if either of you guys have watched The Sopranos. Uh, are you kidding me? Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm Italian. So. Gabagool. Yeah, <laughs> Gabagool. <laughs> so it's... Uh, when uh during Olivia's wake and uh what's the what's Carmela's father's name? I, I can't remember, it's it's right on the tip of my tongue here. Um but I could look it up quick. Whatever whatever yeah, the case. he goes he goes on this rant about uh, about Livia, who's who's Tony Soprano's mother, who was a narcissist and so on and so forth, and he's like uh he's like, Yes, you know, we <clears throat> We suffered uh, for years. We suffered, suffered suffered under that woman's yoke for years. <laughs> it's like it's like yeah, it's like with Drummond. You know, years we had to watch that man. Years, years. He estranged <laughs> me from my own enjoyment of the sports. Ruined, God knows uh, <laughs> how many goddamn games. I don't even want to begin to count. <laughs> oh man, I remember <laughs> the scene with uh, Chrissy's yeah. intervention there. That, yeah, that's, exactly. that's what we should have probably sat Andre down and, and given him one of those. Yeah, the, the scene, the scene in which uh, in which Chris disrespects his mother and gets the crap beaten out of him. slaps yeah. him, and then Tony's like, "At my mother's funeral, disgusting." Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good okay. one. And Eddie, yeah. <laughs> now it's just a brand <laughs> podcast we're doing it's, now. It's, yeah, it's it's what Carmela said. I happen to know that you were high at my mother-in-law's wake. Yeah. <laughs> you talked for twenty minutes straight. Nothing but gibberish. (laughs) For anybody listening who hasn't watched The Sopranos, it's my number one show of all time. Has to be. It's uh, it's a show that has no good guys. So if you don't like shows like that, and I I really had trouble with it after a time because all of these people are despicable parasites, uh, or or the families who are just uh, who are just willfully ignorant. Mm -hmm. Anyway, all right. So families, yeah. (laughs) What? No, go on. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So let's move yeah. on to uh, to to a final topic here. Uh, now that we've gone on, you know, on uh, on a tremendous, often a tremendous tangent. Uh, that is Hamadou Diallo, who has been upgraded to probable for uh, the game against the Nets. And uh, yeah, it, it's entirely possible that this that this podcast will have been posted after that game. Uh, after that game has already been played, uh, I'm going to do my best to get it up before that. In any event. Uh, just our profile on Hamadou Diallo. Uh, I'll just I'll just run through real quick. You guys can can share your thoughts. Uh, Diallo, I, I know we talked about him a bit, uh, you know, on an extremely long episode a couple of weeks ago. Super athletic, uh, long, uh, has has a good amount of defensive potential. Ferocious at attacking the basket. He's good at that. Not a good shooter. That's his main weakness right now. And you're really just banking on his and his ceiling. Uh, if he's a guy, he's a decent passer too off the drive. Not great, but good enough that he can participate in the offense as a ball handler, and you want to have as many ball handlers on the floor as you can. So, as many guys who can pass, yeah, uh, off the move. So, if he can become like a 36% spot-up three-point shooter on wide-open attempts, you know, hit those with, with a, a decent, you know, to fairly consistent degree of uh, degree of accuracy, uh, then he becomes a guy who can attack closeouts and either make his way to the basket or pass. And uh, then you've got a fairly good player on your hands. I've seen it projected that he could end up, I don't remember who said this, but uh, somebody, some, one of the reputable personalities, uh, NBA personalities, uh, possibly you could get around $10 million per year in free agency from the Pistons. And Weaver clearly thinks quite highly of him. Uh, yeah. And he will take, he would presumably come in, you know, if they're willing to start him right away and take away the, the minutes of current starter shooting guard, who is Frank Jackson, and I don't think he has anything to offer. <laughs> anything, but that's for another time. Yeah, this is uh, this is another one of those moves. I think 
Weaver, this is one of Weaver's guys in OKC, so I wasn't too surprised that he brought him back. But watching his highlights, this is a guy that fits Weaver's mold of like hard the guys who run really hard in transition, attack the basket. He fits that mold to a T. Uh, I think he'll fit in really nicely with this group of guys. This kind of goes back to that. I don't. I think I mentioned it on on a on a recording once. Uh, Troy Weaver has amassed this like group of guys who are super long, super athletic, hard workers, or, or some mix of those uh, attributes. But a lot of them, most of them, can't shoot threes. And I think it's uh, the list I'm thinking of is like Sekou Dumboya, Josh Jackson, Saban Lee, now Hamadou Diallo. If just one of those guys starts hitting threes in an acceptable as an at an acceptable rate. Uh, you brought in these three guys, all those guys for like really little, like little to no cost. And that's great value on return because these are guys who are high ceiling. They're just like, they're just missing one key attribute. And once they get that, once they get the shooting down, that unlocks a huge portion of their game that you're looking at like long-term starters now, as opposed to guys like Sfi, who at best, he's a guy who's going to be like a rotation player. Uh, and if you're a contender, like a guy like Sfi, who's just like a pure shooter off the bench, you can find those guys a dime a dozen when you're a contender. You can just pick up that guy. He's a little bit older off the buyout market. Find that guy at that point. But right now, the Pistons need guys who can really make an impact. And I think those are the guys that Troy Weaver is looking for right now. So I thought of it like this. Like Sam Presti has just amassed a stupid number of draft picks for the next seven years. Weaver hasn't done that. But what he's done is it's the, the more draft picks you have, the more chances you have to hit on somebody. What Troy Weaver has done instead is the more of these these types of players you have, these more of these very athletic guys who just can't shoot, the more of those guys you have. If just one of them hits, it's great value. And that's what I think Weaver is going for here with Hamadou Diallo. I think you hope that one of these guys just puts their three-point shot together, and then they're a long-term starter. They're a guy who can really make an impact. So watching him, I mean, he, he runs hard. He attacks the basket. Great balance and transition. I really like it, uh, the way that he controls his body and contorts and changes directions when he's going to the basket. If he ever gets his three-point shot down, uh, he's going to be an impact player, and he's going to be a guy who can really, really help this team. Yeah, I know that that Weaver said pretty early on, uh, actually right around the time of the trade, that, or one of the beat writers said it for him, that he sees Diallo as a long-term piece. And yeah, I agree. You're, you're really looking at, at, at guys with high athletic ceilings. That, that's really what what Weaver's looking at. Well, in a lot of cases. So yeah, but you, you, of course, the three point shooting is is really what you need. And I mean that that's the that is the non negotiable skill in in today's NBA. And some guys just don't get it together. Some guys are very hard workers. They don't get it together. Diallo, by all accounts, is a very hard worker. And we said this, that, that Royce Young, who has been uh, one of the writers, I believe, uh, I'm not sure if he still writes, he's still a beat writer for the Thunder, but he was uh, he certainly, if not, he was for, for quite some time. And he said he saw a bit of the Westbrook mentality and how uh, Diallo attacks the basket, not the Westbrook mentality and chucking and you know chasing triple doubles, but <laughs> that sort of, you know, going on the way to the basket with the intent of just murdering it and you know, and plowing over everybody in your way. So that's good. And like I said, I do appreciate the culture. You got any thoughts on Diallo, Dante? Um, well, part of the reason we're recording so late on Friday night is because uh, I'm going away this weekend. So I won't, I won't be home. I won't be near a TV um, Saturday night when Diallo's listed as probable. And I'm honestly considering buying league pass to just watch it when I'm up there, because uh, rather than watching a recording of the game, I'm, I'm so excited to watch him play that, that like I would pay <laughs> whatever it is for league pass just for that game, just to watch it because I, it's Tommy, your breakdown was, was pretty much everything I could have said and more like he's um, a plus 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 athlete. And really the only thing holding him back from being a high level impact player is the shooting. Um, and you know, that's not to discount it because shooting is a hard skill to learn. There are guys who go through their whole career and they're never more than like a 30% three point shooter. But at the end of the day, he's like 22 years old. And so I would bet that someone who, like you said, Mike has that Westbrook mentality. I know you said it specifically in terms of going to the net, but you know, if somebody is that ferocious, you know, attacking the basket, you gotta imagine they, 
you know, they attack their training with the same intensity. Right. And I have every, I have every bit of confidence that he's going to work diligently at his shot. And if that thing starts falling at an average to above average clip, then we've got a very, very talented player on our hands. I'm extremely excited to have him on the team. And the more I think about what's gone on with, uh, you know, what the, what the compensation compensation was, um, in that speed trade, I think this has the potential to be a very, very good trade for the Pistons. Yeah, we'll see. At the very least, I, I don't necessarily agree, Tommy, that 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 players like Svi, assuming he's hitting his threes, which he still isn't doing with with Oklahoma City, he's actually shooting around thirty one percent, thirty one and a half, I think, from from three with uh, with Oklahoma City since the trade. If he's hitting his threes, he's a guy who can shoot. Like, if we're looking at 2019, 2020, uh, his, his percentage from the perimeter, he's a guy who can not only shoot spot up threes at high percentage, but also motion threes. That's a very valuable skill. And who can handle the ball to some degree, create for his teammates to some degree, and uh, and attack open lanes to the basket. That's a valuable role player. It's not a guy you're going to want starting, but that's, that's a valuable role player, even if he is, uh, I think he's conceivably just hopeless for good on defense. But I agree, a player like that who's, is almost certainly reached a ceiling is not particularly high ceiling or is very close to it. The least has no real appeal to a rebuilding team. So uh, as I said, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was definitely a, a big fan of the trade and it's definitely one of the big excitements this season has just been uh, watching the youngsters play, whether that's uh, Dennis Smith jr. Coming out of the team, you know, who knows how well he'll do when he's been pretty meh, but it was exciting watching him come out of the team. It was exciting seeing we get his chance uh, it'll be exciting to to see Adiello get his chance, and it, it's been kind of a turnover from uh, a bunch of veterans to to really the the team's youth just getting more and more uh, just a makeover, but that you know the youth getting more and more of the chances. Absolutely, so absolutely. If we see Hayes, Diallo, Bay, Grant, and Stewart on the court at the same time, I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> like I will. I'm warning you guys. I'm going to cry. So. That's something to look forward to. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So uh, that'll be it for today's episode. As always, thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time.